Amen. Turn around, greet somebody. Good to see folks out tonight. Good to see you on the on the uh, IT platforms, and praise God for everybody who is blessed by this broadcast. Uh, it's very good to stand in a pulpit and know that there are people here and there are people around the world hearing the same message simultaneously and being blessed. Now, if you haven't signed up and filled up all the blanks on the Care and Share Thanksgiving dinner sign-up board, I hope that you'll do that. This is our last time to really push this. Phone calls will start tomorrow, Lord willing, and we'll make sure that every category is absolutely filled so that we can come with confidence that we're going to get fed and have enough food for all of our guests that we're going to bring with us. Now, if you invite people, make sure that you invite them to sit with you, and that's who you're going to fellowship with, and that's who you're going to try to introduce to everybody else. We, uh, we saw a young man today at lunch that we've been working with, and uh, I've just been in touch with him this afternoon and have invited him to come and be our guest on Saturday evening. That's Saturday, the 18th of November. We will start at 4 o'clock sharp. We'll go till around 6. We'll come up here. And as a result of the favorable men's um, council, ordination council on Friday night with Brother Tyler, and then the unanimous vote of our congregation this morning to officially and publicly ordain Brother Tyler to the gospel ministry. Uh, following our care and share dinner, we'll all come up here and we'll have an abbreviated public ordination service. Won't that be wonderful? And praise the Lord. It's a wonderful blessing for, uh, for Tyler and family, but also for the church family as we see what God is doing, moving us right along. Speaking of church family, just to let you know, if you have not heard... Uh, Brother Julius went to be with Jesus this afternoon. And uh, we're extending our love and condolences to the family. And they request that you do not contact the, the home in view of the, uh, the care, the type of care that Lila is in. So for that reason, do not go to the house. Do not contact the house. Do not call the house. Tomorrow I will get first-hand information as to the arrangements, location, time, day, and so forth, and I will pass it along to all of you. Anybody who wants to know, just make sure you check with me tomorrow afternoon if you haven't already heard from us or from the grapevine. All right, and there will be a wonderful, wonderful service of memory and praising the Lord and giving all the glory to God because, as David said today, David, his son, that he was sitting there with Pop and uh, sitting there and he watched and then all of a sudden, peace. And he went home to be with Jesus. And he said the instant he saw that his dad had gone home, a tremendous swelling feeling of peace came over him. And until you've been there, you don't know what we're talking about. There was not arguing with Jesus about, not yet, I want more time, I want to talk one more time. I mean, everybody humanly feels that way. But you know what? You live your life every single day so you don't have regrets when that time comes. Amen. And so our best to the family, and we will let you know, uh, we will let you know tomorrow by way of um, prayer chain and, and um, letting the church family know what the arrangements are are going to be. We have um, a great, uh, great schedule coming up this week. Once again, we'll be in church. We're going to get the last chapter in 2 Corinthians. Don't miss that last <laughs> edition of 2 Corinthians. It's coming up. and uh, So I hope you'll be here Wednesday night, 7.30. Don't miss visitation on Saturday. And, uh, and then, of course, we've got our gathering, as we have mentioned already. We'll let you know otherwise what's going on. And look forward to... Uh, all that's coming up in the holidays, we've got Thanksgiving uh, service with uh, testimonies and the candlelight on Thanksgiving Eve, and then we've got uh, coming up uh, a Christmas, and we've had started to have practices for the musicale. We're going to have the cookies and caroling concert on the 8th. Mark that date down. Don't miss it. We're going to have a, a wonderful, wonderful season. And on into 2024, I can't believe it, 2023 is almost gone. And you say, where did it go? Hopefully, we invested it in the work of the Lord. Didn't we, sweetie, didn't we have some wonderful, wonderful 
uh, surprises from the Lord. Turns and twists and, and blessings and, and God using uh, uh, crossing paths and, and witnessing opportunities. And you that have been in visitation, you know what I'm talking about. You know, when you, it's when you get to talk to the person that you think because of their religious background or because of, of their culture or whatever, that they're going to fight you. And then you find out that you've, you've got the basis of, of uh, discussing and at least having an understanding, and it's a whole lot more peaceful than what you thought. Now, I know that's not always the case. And so tonight we're going to be talking about what are we going to do with the old devil. So I want you to turn in your Bible to the, the book of Romans, please. Turn with me to the book of Romans tonight. We're going to go to the last chapter of the book of Romans. This morning we honored all the vets, the military, everybody that's in the Lord's army. And even though we didn't take the scriptures individually, we had some out on the table. Remember that from, uh, from Ephesians chapter number 6. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand and so forth, having done all the stand, all the pieces of the armor and praying. Amen. Put on each piece with prayer. All right, we're in Romans chapter 16 tonight. Romans chapter 16. And this is so typical of what we will be facing in these latter times, these last days. How many of you believe that we're in the last days? If, if, you, if you have been living under a rock, you probably don't see what's going on. But we, we see, and all, it seems like all of a sudden, did you notice, for example, I know this might get me arrested, but I'm going to try very carefully not to get arrested so I can preach another day, all right? So let me be careful how I, how I answer this, all right? Um, did you notice that between about 1990 and about uh, 2010, how rapidly, what a rapid run-up there was, for example, in gender confusion. Do you notice how quickly that went? It's like, you said, where have I been? It's like it overwhelmed me. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, there's this rapid run-up now with uh, uh, Israel's the bad guy. We know there's always been anti-Semitism, and, and we know that Israel has always been under attack, but we realize as Christians Inasmuch as we have done it unto one of these, the least of my brethren, Jesus said. That's Israel. That's right there about the, the judgment of the nations. Whether or not there's going to be a United States in the millennium will be determined by what we decide from, uh, from Washington on down. And so we need to take care and uh, go after winning souls and loving uh, the Israelis and uh, supporting Israel as a nation as a policy, but you notice how quickly that's gone? It has accelerated so rapidly now, and it's, it's as though everybody's piling on, and Israel supposedly are the bad guys, and we know that they are the apple of, of Jehovah's eye. We know that they are the Old Testament covenant people. We know that in the tribulation, after we're gone, they're going to turn to Yeshua and look on him whom they have pierced, and so uh, absolutely. God's got room in his economy for this New Testament thing, those of us that are part of the church and have been saved by grace in this age of grace, but he's also got room for Israel that he has not cast off forever. Have you read Romans chapters 9, 10, 11? And he's still got a plan for them. But if you notice how quickly that moved. And, and now everything seems to be advancing so quickly. You see, in, in technology and in so many, I mean, it's just, it's flying by. What do we have to do? We need to stay in tune with the Spirit of God through the Word of God and be truly furnished unto all good works. We need to be prepared. And some of this is covered in this passage that we're going to read tonight. Romans chapter 16, I hope you're there tonight. Verse number 17, and he is wrapping it up. He has said his hellos and goodbyes, and he's, he's taking care of all those amenities with people there at Rome, and here's what he's saying to them. Verse 17, now I beseech you, I beg you. That's a strong word, and he uses it frequently and several times in this book. I beseech you, brethren. Brethren means people from the same source, the same spiritual source in this case. All right, so I beseech you, brethren. Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. I believe we need to stand for the truth but not get sidetracked in these last days. 
as fundamentalists, we need to stand for the truth. And we need to have a balance between positive and negative. But not overemphasize this business. We're, we're to be uh, adept at apologetics, but our whole ministry isn't about winning the argument, is it? Our whole, our whole ministry is about winning the lost. Amen. And discipling them. Amen. Let's not get sidetracked. Let's not get the wrong emphasis going on. All right, so that's important. Verse 18. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. We have across the religious landscape today everything imaginable. And what used to be, I'm telling you, there was a time from the 1960s on through the 1980s when the mega churches and the mega Sunday schools were all fundamental independent Baptists. When they would list the largest Sunday schools and churches in the world, uh, for example, Elmwood Towns would make a, a listing, and, and Wally Beebe would have the largest bus ministries. And if there, were, if there were 10 largest churches, eight of them would be independent Baptists. And one would be a Southern Baptist, and one would be, one would be uh, Assembly of God or Pentecostal. That was it. And if they listed the top 100 or the top 50 bus ministries in America, there might be two or three in there that weren't independent Baptists. That, that's what, what, well, I'm telling you, if you went to sleep, Rip Van Winkle, back in the 1970s and woke up now, you would be amazed at, at the secular landscape, at the religious landscape. Now, there's, there's a lot of things that, that we can still do right. But I want you to know, we are not, we're not addressing issues from a position of numerical strength. Are you listening to me? All of, of what we profess must be solidly, total, uh, Bible-based truth. It can't just be, well, we always did it this way. There's no difference between that and anybody else's tradition other than the fact that our tradition may be right, but you can't argue from this is the way it's been done. Understand, I don't want to change things, and we're not going to change things, but that's not the basis for explaining to folks why what's going on is going on. We have to do so based on what we know the Word of God says and how the Holy Spirit of God leads and guides and directs in this. We must be, if we are... If we're 100 people or if we're 10 people or if we're 1,000 people or if we're 10,000 people or whatever our numbers might be, that's no longer such a big deal. The big deal is that we are true and we're expressing ourselves not on the basis of emotion or tradition, what we've always done, even though that may be the right thing to do. It has to be on the basis of the Word of God. Are you understanding me? We need to be people of the book. Others have a lot more tools. What have they got? They've got good words, fair speeches. And what do they do? They effectively deceive the hearts of the simple. Who are the simple? If you go back to the context of Proverbs chapter 1, the simple are those who have not yet come to the point of developing maturity or convictions. And there's plenty of them. Because you can get saved in a Baptist church and never grow one micro inch. And you'll be simple. That's not to, to say something critical of you. That is an accurate uh, delineation of where you are spiritually. Simplicity. Now there is a sense in which we should remain simple. We're going to see that in just a minute. But the simplicity of not being in the Word is inexcusable. The simplicity of of not engaging people who are wrong in love is inexcusable. We need to always speak the truth, what? In love. Somebody doesn't please you? When you show your emotion, when you show your frustration, when you show your antagonism or, or your upset uh, flesh with people, you are doing the work of the devil instead of the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, yeah, he would talk about cool and calm. That's Jesus Christ. A couple of times, I mean, he drove the money changers out, 
And you know what we always do? We look at his righteous indignation, like I said this morning. And then we jump over there and our fleshly wrath, which is not righteous indignation, we rename it righteous indignation. We say, I was justified because I was right. But the way we did it was all of the flesh. And when we do, when we do the flesh, the works of the flesh are of the devil. They please the devil and not the Lord. This world does not need to see that in us. So be careful. Before you turn over that money changer's table, you better make sure what your motivation is. Amen? Amen. It can't just be, I was ticked off, man. I was really mad. And I speak of what I know because I can be that way. I don't want to be that way, but I can be that way. And I understand if I am that way, what do I do? I ruin my opportunity to witness. You mentioned that I had done something a couple of weeks ago that was good, on the good side. Thank you, sweetie. And you said it was handling that situation in that way that preserved and, and kept that relationship so that God could work in, in that other person's life. That's so important. Try not to lose it, all right? Now, sometimes we speak uh, a little more soberly. Sometimes we speak a little shorter and not so long because there are times when... Uh, we all need to review the one-minute manager. You ever read that book, the one-minute manager? All right. If you can say it in fewer words, the economy words, sometimes it's so much better. It's just our flesh that wants to go on and be heard. All right. So we understand the times in which we're living. And we understand our place in this particular time. Look at verse 19. For your what's the third word? Obedience. What do we need in these times? Obedience is come abroad unto all men. What's the thing that is going to help people come to God more easily? It's when we manifest in our life a spirit-filled obedience to the will of God. A spirit-filled submission. Are we submissive? Are we truly submissive to the will of God? Whatsoever, whatever His will is, whatever it may be, we need to step back and say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. That's what Jesus did. It can't be anything other than that if we're going to be successful. Your obedience, Paul says to the Romans, is come abroad unto all men. People are going to know if we're living for Jesus. They're going to detect if the, if the position is right. Now get this, we need to have the right position. Isn't this right, Brother Tyler? as we've talked about this so often. We need to have the right position on doctrine, on practice, on methods. We need to have the right position. But look at me. We've got to have the right, look at this, the right disposition. If you've got the right position and the wrong disposition, you can do more harm than good. We have to be careful on that. So when we lock horns, cross swords, whatever metaphor you want to use, it had better be to speak the truth in love. It may be to the point, it may be an economy of words, but there needs to be a heart of compassion. When I counsel you, when I speak to you, it's I have sought what the Lord would have me say, and sometimes I gulp and I got to say it because it's not easy. It's called tough love. And we say, you know, this is what this is what God wants you. This is, you know, this is it right here. Got to do this right here. This is it right here. This is it. So often, where are we in our, if, if we had a, a methodology, where are we? are we? Are we in here? How many of you can agree with me? Frequently, uh, there may be a reference, there may be a, a, like a referral back to the Word of God, but the overpowering motivation for what we do and how we do, it's out here somewhere, isn't it? It's got to be Bible-based. Man, it's got to be in the Word. We've got to be obedient to God. We've got to be able to put our finger on it and say, God said it, and I'm going to do it. And it's, it doesn't matter how tough it is. It doesn't matter how much it hurts. Guess what? God's grace is greater than, than all of that, you know, all of that that you're going through. You may be going through a thorn. You may be going through a tough time. God's grace is greater. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, you may be going through a loss, a hurting time, but God's grace and comfort, He's the God of all comfort. He is the one that gives you all that you need to get through this thing. You've got to stay focused on Him. Amen. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. So 
Paul is saying, you've done this right, but yet I would have you, here it is, wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. Now that is a, a great verse because Christians know too much of what's going on in this wicked world. We need to have a, a sense in which we are aware of what is not godly and stay away from it, but we don't need to stick around for all the dirty details. The latest thing going on among celebrities in Hollywood or, or you know, in the world front page of all the secular newspapers, stuff that pops up, electronic. I, listen, the invention of the Internet as it's used for God is a boon and a blessing. And what it might do to help you maybe in organizing your life, if your life would be a mess otherwise and you're no good at budgets and journals and stuff like that and electronics helps you, praise the Lord. But all the junk that pops up is not a blessing. That's straight out of the pit of hell. That return address is the lake of fire. That's it. So Paul is saying down the corridors of time, 20 centuries, he's saying, I would have you wise into that which is good. There may be some good there, but just simple when it comes to that which is evil and wicked and nasty because a little leaven leavens the whole lump and the little foxes spoil the vine. And how many, how many scriptural admonitions can you think of along with those? All those things that can spoil it and wreck it and ruin it, the testimony that God has given, the opportunity that he's given us to, to make a difference in the lives of people. Now let's move on. Verse 20. And the God of peace. Now you know that peace with God is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5. And we know that, uh, uh, that uh, the uh, peace of God that passeth understanding. Philippians chapter 4. We understand the way that works. And then later on in that same chapter, the God of peace. Here we have the God of peace again. What does that mean? When you have the phrase, the God of peace, it turns around, you know, the peace of God. Now we have the God of peace. What is that? The word peace in the New Testament is a very important word. This is one to mark down. It would be a series of messages. The, the peace of God is the same as God taking everything, for example, if, if everything was shattered up here and you picked it up and carefully glued it all back together, put all those pieces back together. Irony means that. Everything that's broken and destroyed and wrong, God is in the business of putting all that back together. Peace is not the absence of conflict. If that were the case, we'd be standing here and doubting that there is even a God. Who cares about us? Because we got conflict all around us and we see it, we hear it, we feel it and so forth and we have to constantly bring it back to the Lord and pray about it and say, Lord, please, please calm it all down and please make it all right and please, you know, for your glory, whatever it may be. And he says, my grace is sufficient. He gives you grace to get through another day, another incident, another controversy, another conflict, another difficulty. But the God of all peace is the one who is lovingly because he cares for you. And, and uh, uh, very um, um, purposefully putting the pieces back together in your life. In your relationship. In your job. In your marriage. Among your extended family. He's the one that's putting it back together. He knows just exactly how to do it. Because he is, he is the God who made everything. He's the one who holds everything together. And when it's not godly and it comes apart and he puts it back together, he knows every, every corner. He knows every, every bit of it. And he cares about you. He cares about how you're feeling about this. And, and, and we're feeling bad and he's putting it all back together. He's doing it behind the scenes and he's doing it, uh, he's doing it by one, two, three, you know, maybe three things removed from us that we can't even see. And he's doing it right now. And how many times has he given us one of those uh, pleasant surprises? Because he did something behind the scenes. We, we prayed about it. We worried about it. We were concerned about it. We stewed about it. We went through all of the human things that we do. And 
God's over here behind the scenes, three things away. And he's putting it all together. Boom, 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 boom. All of a sudden, wow, took care of that. But he'd been working on that. Because he knows us and he cares about us and he loves us. Aren't you glad? I am so glad I got a God like that. He's not, he's not disenfranchised. He's not distant. He is very, very caring. If it seems like it's not happening the way you're praying and you're wondering how it's going to turn out, don't. Just focus on the Lord. Just watch what he's going to do from three steps away or five steps away or, you know, where'd that come from? God's got it all. He's working it all out. And he's working it all out, what? For his good. He's working it out according to his plan, according to his perfect will. I'm glad I got a God like that. In a crazy, mixed up, messed up world with all of this stuff going on all around us, I've got a God who's got it all under control and he's putting all the pieces back together. All this turmoil going on and he's putting the pieces back together. He's the God of peace. That's a wonderful phrase. God of peace. Now that same God who cares about us intensely hates the devil. It's okay for me to hate the devil and the works of the devil and everything about the devil because Jesus hates the devil too with a perfect hatred. You can read about that. Look up all the references to perfect hatred in the Bible. You'll be amazed. You know, we were taught as kids, it's not, not right to hate. Yes, it is. It's right to hate the devil and the devil's works. You were asked the question by your father-in-law of all people, in the council, you know, is it fair to say the devil made me do it as an excuse? And you answered correctly. In fact, all the answers were correct. They were good answers. But, uh, but I was thinking about, sweetie, you remember when Brad was little? And he'd been corrected and he was sent to his room to think about it, right? And we, you heard, I think. You heard him. And I want you to say it and I'll repeat it online. What, what, what did little Brad say? Now, how old was he at this time? Five years of age, okay? So just a little guy, all right? Who else is five in this crowd? All right, so listen up. When Brad, our son, was five, he did some things that he had to be corrected for, and Mama heard him saying, Devil, I hate you, devil. I'm going to stomp your head, devil. And you say, that's cute. But isn't that the way we feel too? We're a little bigger than five. How many of you would like to stomp the head of the devil? Well, we got some scripture. Here's your, here's your life's verse. Here we go. The, here it is. You ready for this? Here it is. Here it is. The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. That's the same as devil. I'm going to stomp your head. He must have heard something, you know, some scripture or preaching or something on that. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Now, the grace of God is for soothing and salving our hurts and, and our, our sense of loss and our, and our feeling bad and our disappointment and all of those things. I've got so many little bumper sticker sayings like disappointment is his appointment, you know. And that's where grace comes in. God's grace. But God gives us grace. That when we come to the end of, of, of this particular conflict or this particular episode that we're in, Paul is saying, the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Under your feet. Now, Jesus is the head of the body. And somewhere in that body, you might be a little pinky finger or you might be a kneecap. But I'd kind of like to, in this case, be the feet. Because I'd kind of like to stomp the devil. Devil, I'm going to stomp you. Yeah, I want to do that. Because he has made such a mess of so many lives, so many families, so many churches he's torn up, so many things, so many disappointments he's behind it. Now, God is greater. But because there are people who make wrong choices in this world and set things in motion and also there are tests, we have a devil who's alive and well on planet Earth, as the book in the 1980s declared. How many of you remember that book? Satan is alive on planet, alive and well on planet Earth. Oh yeah, 
bestseller by Lindsay. Remember that? Absolutely. Written in layman's terms, sold like hotcakes. I remember when you could buy a copy of that for a buck ninety-nine, and they were go—they were going off the, flying off the shelves. Had a bunch of things about the devil in there, and uh, and he was saying that he's alive and well on planet Earth. I want you to turn to another passage of scripture, last time scripture in uh, uh, Revelation chapter number twelve. And of course, we know that this this falls in the tribulation. But in Revelation chapter 12, and let's begin, let's begin back, verse number 7. And there was, past tense, war in heaven. Michael and his angels, that's Michael the archangel, fought against the dragon, that's the devil. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a, a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren, we've got the same, same terminology used in 1 John. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God, Day and night. Have you noticed all the different titles for Satan here? I don't want to give him any credit, but you know what? The Bible calls him by these names so as to describe his character, which we'll get to. And they. Who are they? These are tribulation saints. They overcame him. Now, even though dispensationally this is tribulation scripture, the principle is applicable they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth from all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ is God's blood. It's powerful blood. It can be claimed. It is, we believe right now, red and wet and on the mercy seat in heaven right now. The blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, there you go, and they love not their lives unto the death. We, we, could, we could apply this to people who have died as martyrs throughout the ages. We have that string of martyrs that were listed in Hebrews chapter 11, and then those unnamed heroes that we talked about this morning. Don't even have the names for them, but they, but they uh, stood up for Jesus throughout the ages and through the Middle Ages, and, and many of them were our, our Baptist forefathers. They were called Anabaptists by the enemy because they refused to, uh, to, be, uh, to accept the, the religious uh, idolatry that they had come out of. And when they got truly saved as adults, they got immersed as a profession of their faith in Jesus Christ, which to the enemy was the second time that water was applied. And so they called them Anna, or again, Baptists. And eventually they dropped the A-N-A, Anna. And so Cardinal Hoshius, who was a Catholic cardinal and certainly a leader of the enemy troops, said... All those people back to John the Baptist and, and Jesus. The Montanists, the Petributions, the Waldenses, the Albigenses, you know, all of those different ones, he said, they were all Anabaptists. They all believed the same things. They stood and they were willing to die for it. When you hear about Anabaptists in Germany, like Mantz and his friend, who held meetings which were declared against the law because they were not of the state church. They were taken out. Chains and weights were placed on them. A hole was cut in the ice on the river. And the persecutors said, so you want to baptize? We'll baptize you. And they dropped them in the river and drowned them. They were our Anabaptist forefathers. That's what we come from. That's it. That's it. And so there are those, we read of, we read of the, those who had been beheaded in the tribulation for the cause of Jesus Christ. And their souls were under the altar and they, they said, how long, O Lord? How long? They were asking when vengeance, when godly vengeance was going to be taken on those who had had them beheaded for their faith in Jesus Christ. And, and they, were, they were conscious 
they, their spirits were in heaven and they were conscious that vengeance had not yet been fully taken on earth. They were aware of that, which gives us pause to reflect, doesn't it, Tom, about exactly what the nature of all this is from here to heaven and back and so forth. But we understand that. Those people were willing to do such a tremendous thing as to give their very life for the Lord. Brother Tyler was talking with me about the stams in China. They were taken by the communists and were beheaded uh, in front of their children. Their children, of course, escaped. So many were willing to give their very life. And I had to ask him some serious questions. What if this happens out in the future and they hold a gun to you or they hold a gun to your wife or they hold a gun to your child? What will you do? And we as believers will be given grace for the unthinkable at that time. And that would make a chapter, if not an entire book, grace for the unthinkable, grace for the unbelievable. God will give you grace in that moment, as unthinkable as it is. I think about those folks over in the Middle East, North Africa, claiming Christ and dying and suffering and, and being tortured and suffering in front of their loved ones and the loved ones being forced to suffer in front of them and not denying Jesus Christ. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves for complaining about the temperature or complaining about the scratch on the fender or complaining about uh, traffic and we ran a little bit late. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves when we think about those that have suffered. Now, the devil's behind it. God doesn't do that. God is sovereign, but because of the way things are in this world, God knows what he's doing. And there is a great testimony. And just like the ones who died at the hands of the Aka Indians, the ones who died in other cases, they became the, the very example that many, many others volunteered to go to the mission field or to serve the Lord or give themselves. You know what I'm talking about. And God knows what he's doing. He gets, he gets the glory always. We don't judge him. When it comes to martyrdom and persecution, the difficulties of it, it's not going to be sweet. It's not going to be nice. But God gives grace. And God knows what he's doing. And the, the end result in the math of God, if I can just, the way God figures it, the way he keeps books, uh, five die uh, at the hands of the Aka Indians and 1,000 or maybe 10,000 stand up and say, I'll go to the mission field. God knows what he's doing. And those five, absent from the body, present with the Lord, in, in, in spite of the fact they don't get to live out their natural lives and see their children grow up and graduate and get married, they don't get to see that. God still knows what he's doing and we don't judge God. And they would be the last to judge God they would turn to the Lord Jesus in heaven and say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and how you do things in a mysterious way beyond our reckoning and our understanding. Shame on us for judging God. Shame on us for being mad with God. God knows what he's doing. Our enemies are threefold. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And sometimes I think if the devil had died last night, the sin and the rampant evil in this world would still go on because of the world system and because of our own wicked flesh and the flesh of mankind. But until King Jesus comes to reign, we're going to be on that battlefield for our Lord. Amen. And in this last chapter of Romans, he, he greets all of his friends and loved ones there in Rome. And he says, I beseech you. He's warning them. He's talking to them about victory. And then it says here in Revelation chapter number 12 and verse number 12. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And this is a word. This is a word for every professing believer who thinks Whatever's going in, on in your life is bigger and more important than what's going to happen next. And what's bigger and more important uh, that we're not considering is this, 
that Jesus Christ is coming back soon and suddenly and surprisingly and He is going to snatch us away from this world and this old world is going to be thrust into the great tribulation and under the, under the yoke of Antichrist and go through all of that and suffer tremendously. That's why we need to occupy. Jesus is coming back for you. We need to beat the devil. Put the devil under your feet. I mean, just put him under your feet. And thank God for it while we have the opportunity to do all of that. Satan, Satan's not only generally the corrupter of mankind, but he's behind corrupting you and me. And take it personally. I mean, take it absolutely personally. Jesus Christ died so that we could have victory and not be under the bondage of the devil. You've seen these names tonight was Patton who said, know your enemy. You need to know him. He's called the adversary. The adversary. He's known as the slanderer. He's known as Beelzebub, the prince of demons. He's known as Belial, the low one. He's known as the old serpent, the god of this world, the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air. He's known as the dragon. We just saw that. He's known as the angel of light, the accuser of the brethren, the father of all lies. Now, it was Billy Sunday preaching back in the early 1900s. He said, don't you doubt the personality and the reality of the devil. He says, I know there's a devil. He says, I've done business with him. This preacher has done business with him and with his demons. And I know that they are real entities. And I have, no, I have not written a book. I have not made a tape or a video to try to see how many I can sell on these experiences with demons because that would be the entirely wrong approach. I want to warn you. If you haven't lately, you need to fall in love with Jesus all over again. You need to be closer than you've ever been to the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to spend more time in the Word of God. And as, the more we love Jesus, the more we're going to hate the devil and not accept what he does or accept what a mess he makes of our life as professing believers. And we let him run roughshod over us so that what we say and what we do and how we feel and how we react and how we behave is anything but Christ-like. He's got access to heaven. Satan has access to the earth. He tempts people to sin. He deceives people. The worst kind of deception. He hinders the work of God. He closes down churches. He gets he gets fundamental, independent Baptist to reconsider things that used to not even to, to be up for a vote. Let's see, should I go to church or not? Never was up for a vote before. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. When Jesus defeated the devil in Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4, he did it with the word. He quoted his Bible. He did it by the power and the authority given to him by God the Father and manifested through him by the Holy Spirit. And so the second person of the Trinity in the form of a man yet without sin uh, was very God in the body and had the power of the Holy Ghost to show you and show me how we can beat the devil and get him under our feet and grind his head down. Those demons are everywhere. They think by virtue of the fact that there are thousands, tens of thousands, even millions of them, we don't know how many, that they can defeat us. But you know how it was when there were 2,000 demons inside of the demoniac of Gadara. Jesus Christ, <clears throat> one man, God-man, yes, <clears throat> but one man, was able to cast those demons out into the swine. They ran headlong down to the water and were drowned. A lot of people are still kind of Amazed by that. They're focusing on a bunch of pigs instead of on the power of Jesus Christ as an example for what's available to us. Now, kids, don't try this at home. The casting out of demons is not a plaything. The casting out of demons is a reality. And you need to think about it. What's, uh, what's at home where you are? I like what Gwendolyn has done. She has seen to it that in every room there's Scripture Scripture on, on the wall paintings and plaques and Scripture, open Bibles in various rooms of our house. And we need 
to always be careful that we elevate the Word of God and not just depend upon our own emotions, our own words. We get angry with the devil and what he does, but we don't use the power of the Word of God, and we ought to use it in the name of Jesus Christ and the power of His blood and by the authority and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I claim these words, and Satan, if you are present or if any of your demons are present, you have no jurisdiction. It's a matter of jurisdiction. Who owns you? Who owns your marriage? Who owns your home? Who owns your possessions? Everything that we are, everything that we have, everything that we will ever be belongs to Jesus Christ. We ought to reassert that again and again. Satan, you're out of bounds. You're out of your place and you're out of your league because Jesus is greater. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm glad for everyone who's been released from demonic power. I want you to know that every idol that we set up in our life, whether it is a thing, a person, an idea, and that idol, remember John said, little children, keep yourselves from idols. He's talking to Christians. And in this age, the biggest problem we have is what we allow. It's what we permit. And if anything takes from us our zeal, our energy, our excitement for the things of God, that thing, that person, that idea, that activity, that scheduled thing is an idol and it needs to be removed. We need to cast down imaginations and everything that exalts itself above the Lord. The force behind idols is the force of the devil through demons. And today we have terms like sorcery, witchcraft, astrology, divination, magic. And demonology is a reality today just as it was in the Old and New Testaments. It exists in more uh, significant and technologically advanced ways. But what I have noticed, we don't watch television, just let it run, because Satan usually uses that. The things that come out of Hollywood, unless they are blessed and they have, they have some kind of a, a pure or a clean stamp of approval, you can't trust them. Books, books that you read that that uh, convey ideas and concepts that are acceptable in the world and language that's acceptable in the world. Do you know that it is an absolute violation of Scripture for a person to say, oh my God, and yet we have people that type in OMG. Same thing. Just like taking God's name in vain. And we have been desensitized by the electronic world. And now I come to the big one. I don't, even, I don't even go there. But I'm going to say it anyhow. We need to be careful about gaming, gaming on electronics because of all that's satanic, demonic about it. And we get into it, and I can tell you, whether it's TV, movies, books, or gaming, or whatever it may be, some crowd that you hang out with, your coffee clutch, whatever it is, if you find that staying away gives you the shakes, we can give you some prayerful hints about going through the withdrawal because you are addicted. You might as well go home and look in the mirror and just say, yep, you're it. You're an addict. You're an addict. You're addicted. Now what are we going to do about it? Let Jesus take the junk out of your life. Let Jesus reprioritize your life. Let Jesus not only be your Savior, let Him be Lord over every aspect of your life. I say this to you, I say it to myself. When we find that we are addicted, we need to take a break and pray, claim the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, His name, the blood, and be delivered from the bondage that we're experiencing. Tonight we need to go to prayer about ourselves, about our families, about our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, people around us, our fellow Christians, those who claim themselves to be Christians, and those who are members of our very church and yet have now placed Jesus Christ, the gathering of the saints together, the preaching of the Word of God in a secondary position. It should not be. 
Jesus Christ ought to be Lord over every area of our life. He ought to be on the throne of our life. He ought to be in first place. Why don't you let him have first place in your life? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. And how many of you tonight, you here and you online, would say, Jesus Christ needs to be, I want him to be Lord over my life. Put your hand up if that's true. He needs to be, I want him to be Lord over every area of my life. I want to give him control over every area of my life. Then ask yourself this question right now and be deadly honest with yourself. Are there areas that need closer scrutiny and examination? Is there something you need to pray about? It's a daily thing. It's a daily thing. We need victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. And won't you, as we think about the list of the works of the flesh, the works of the devil, and how they might find a place in our life, in our lifestyle, in our associations, we need to lay them on the altar tonight. Give them up. Give it all up to Jesus. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray right now? Say something like this from your heart. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. If you're in the battle for the Lord and right, keep on the firing line. If you win, my brother, surely you must fight. Keep on the firing line. There are many dangers that we all must face. If we die of fighting, it is no disgrace. Coward in the service, he will find no place. So keep on the firing line. Oh, you must fight, be brave against all evil. Never run, nor even lag behind. If you would win for God and the right, just keep on the firing line. When we get to heaven, and brother will be glad keep on the firing line how we'll praise the savior for the call we had keep on the firing line when we see the souls that we have helped to win leading them to jesus from the paths of sin with the shout of welcome we will all fight be brave against all evil never run nor even lag behind if you would win for god and the right just keep on the firing line if you would win for god and the right just keep on